I wouldn't even say that it, there's a big difference between WordPress and WooCommerce in, in terms of caching. It's more that there's a time and place for caching where, and there's many different layers, edge caching, page caching, like caching your images, caching objects of the database. It's, it's such a abyss of pain you can go down if you want to when it comes to caching. And it's many people have trouble with it too. Like it's a hard challenge. That's why people say this this famous quote of there's only two hard things in computer science. One is cache invalidation and one is naming things. Hey everyone, Bob WP here and welcome to Do the Woo, a podcast for WooCommerce Builders episode 174. This show is brought to you by Trustpilot.com and Foosales.com. So let's dive in as Jonathan Wold and Robert Jacoby introduce you to yet another awesome product builder. Welcome to Do The Woo. I'm your co-host, Jonathan Wold, and I'm joined by the always illustrious Robert Jacoby. Robert, how are you? Great. How are you, Jonathan? This is so much fun. I, I'm excited, man. We're, the year is coming to a close. We've got some fantastic episodes behind us and a, a really good one ahead of us today. You staying warm in Chicago? Uh, warmer than, uh, well, no, not at all. I don't know what you're talking about. It is freezing. <laughs> it's that time of year. <laughs> it's good to have you. We have a fantastic guest today. We have Till Cruz. He is the creator of Object Cash Pro and the co-founder of Relay. He does a, a lot of things with WooCommerce. Till, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Till's so excited. I think the uh, Canadian air is uh, freezing him as well. Uh, you know, before we totally jump into the the Till fun. It, 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 there was a big announcement with Object Cash Pro and Cloudways, and you know that's some fortuitous timing to have you uh, on the podcast, and that's really exciting news. So, uh, congrats! And, and for anyone listening, we we scheduled this stuff months in advance, so it actually worked out nicely timing wise. But yeah, and you want Robert? Do you want to just touch on it briefly? Let folks know kind of what happened. Cloudways, yeah, yes, I work for Cloudways. I wasn't supposed to be the co-host today, so I'm not <laughs> purposely shilling. <laughs> But uh, Object Cache Pro is being uh, included on a number of our Cloudways hosting packages, and all that performance and partnership and goodiness we'll get to as Till tells us his story. But uh, it's uh, announced this week, and yeah, check it out. Yeah, super excited about that. Awesome. Let's jump into it. So, Till, for those of you who don't know, let's start with um, just your background. When did when did you first get started into in WordPress? Um. In 2000, it's probably irrelevant, 2010, maybe. I met a strange Indian man. He was a turban and everything, a Sikh. He was doing kirtan. It's like the yoga, but you do yoga with music. And I was really into his music. I, we, I would go twice a week. And I just wanted to make him a website. Of course, I've worked with what was before, little maybe my own blog experimenting. I was, I think my, my own website at that time was on movable type that ah, kind yep. of, you know, back in yep. the day. And I just wanted to make him a website to like spread the gospel of his great get togethers and, and singing together and used WordPress made a website over two, three days kind of came easy. And that kind of set off my whole career of making WordPress websites, just making a, doing a favor for a friend. That's how I got slid into it by chance. And so 
uh, one of the things I was surprised to learn. So for those of you who don't remember, at one point, uh, WordPress, the admin has evolved uh, quite a bit over the years. It's yeah. had different looks and feels. And if I'm recalling correct, were, were you involved in like the MP6 project? Yeah, I was. That was like a few years later. I also, I don't even know how I got connected. I think I just slid in there too. <laughs> okay, and for those of you who don't know, that was like the code name for a redesign of the admin. Am I, yeah. am I characterizing that right? Yeah. yeah. So by that time, a few years later, I think that was like 2013. Yeah. Um, I published a few plugins, just, you know, client work. I have a need for something, bundle up as a plugin, distributed. And then I saw the post, I believe it was Matt Mullenweg, Mullenweg, <laughs> Mullenweg. Um, Matt posted about MP6 and like this cool new project that they want to make the admin responsive because at that time it wasn't. And mobile was picking up, iPhones were selling, I think it was like iPhone 4 or 5 at that time, maybe. Yeah, not even 5, I think. So the early days. <clears throat> and I just, I wanted to contribute, I wanted to help and worked with Mel Choice, I think is her name. And a few others. I forgot. It's you know, it's been eight years. I forgot the names, but um, just contributed a lot to MP6. I wanted to see that through and contribute some color schemes and li little changes that just make this whole experience a bit easier. Because you know, some of my clients wanted to have mobile and just just felt called to do it. Did you come at it from a technical or a design standpoint? It's. I would say more from the technical that was my contribution but of course like when you pick colors or when you align things this you need a decent eye for design or you should have a decent eye for design to contribute to these things especially a ui that is so heavily used you can't just like smack it together and that's ah, fine till did you have a background in, in like open like what led you to do open source contribution like because you did stuff for clients but what what was the switch where it's like oh i want to contribute more broadly yeah, it was way before then. There was a statistics tool called haveamint.com. Oh, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> or just Mint. I yeah. think it was the name Sean Inman, Im Imam. Um, and it was, I don't know if there was already Google Analytics around or if it was before then, but it was a self-hosted PHP-driven analytics platform. And I made some plugins for it. Um, I think uh, locations, they were called Peppers have min pepper and I made a one for locations. And so I contributed for free, made a pro version of one of them to measure the time on the page. I was trying to do some, you know, fancy math calculations, like what's the bounce rate basically and how long are people on, on the page. And that's how I got started with open source. And then with WordPress, I discovered this massive ecosystem where I could actually contribute because movable type, I mean, there were these smaller communities, and here we had SVN. I was like, oh, what, what's version control? I'm just, <laughs> all, I, all I knew about was a, a text editor before then. And, yeah, and like with, the, with the client work through that Indian guy, Puno was his name, Puno Wasu. And I just got more and more jobs from you know, small people, smaller companies that needed a WordPress website, and then fulfilled. I, I made plugins or contributed to open source, made plugins and so on because I wanted to fill my own needs, make all the clients' needs, you know, and just, uh, well, I use the same email encoder on every single platform where when you put, have a post in WordPress or a page and you have an email address in there, I want it to be obfuscated in, in some kind of way that you, you don't have a plain text email because then you get spammed. And I, for every single project, I would like copy and snippets and I just turn it into a plugin. 
and that's really how I got started with it. What I'm just I'm just curious though to kind of close the loop on the open source contribution of like what's the motivation in your mind like why is it worth because it's like the it's like okay open source right but to do the extra step of getting a plugin in the repository or to contribute it there's it's extra work right like where's this this and, and we know like Robert and I when we look at the ecosystem broadly it, it's part of it's the magic of WordPress right but it's always like but what flipped the switch to you where it's like i'm willing to put in the extra work yeah to release the plugin or or contribute because it's not always it's not easy right like you you're i i think there's a few parts of it number one is being ignorant about how much support work it is (laughs) and not knowing how much you actually have to maintain and and support and deal with people um most of them are nice but every now and then you know you put something out for free and then someone rants on it but I would say the driver was more my, – my wife, for example, she's a potter. And she's really good at pottery. And she wants to not just make mugs that I drink out of or she drinks out of. I'm like, hey, do you like my mug, husband? She wants to share it with the world. And being proud of your craft, which is much easier to understand when you're a potter or a carpenter or, I don't know, these these very tangible physical – yeah, physical objects. But I find it's the same with software. Like you come up with something that maybe it's nobody done or you do it much better. That was also the whole thing behind Redis. I can go into that later. Um, I'm proud of what I did and I'm kind of, I think I wanted to share it. It's, it's hard to say because it's been so long since I started, but I think it's the young and, and you want to share with the world. That would be my guess. And especially people like Elliot from ACF who probably did 10 years of advanced custom fields before he even started selling anything, just maintaining a super complex plugin that everybody uses on all of their sites and he doesn't get anything in return. And I think it's this maybe craftsmanship. That would be my guess. I've been in the community for not WordPress, but open source as a whole for, boy, I almost say two decades, I think. But what you're saying, Till, I have found to be the case really in a majority of folks who are, you know, getting into it at all levels, whether it's the code and sharing plugins and things like that, or, you know, other aspects of it. People like to give, and it's nice to see that open source is very welcome to receiving that. So uh, uh, I like the story because I think that it resonates with most folks who have uh, done a lot of anything in the open source space. So speaking of other projects, uh, you uh, so you also have a background in Laravel. Where does Laravel come into the picture for you? You start out in WordPress. Yeah. Where does Laravel come in? I always like sharing this with WordPress people. Uh, <laughs> I get so fed up in around like 2015. So I've been making WordPress websites for maybe five years. So fed up with the slowness. I wanted to merge or I wanted to contribute to WordPress core. Aside from MP6, which is extra, you know, was a de- dedicated plugin. We could push to it. It was not core. And I don't want to say it's gatekeeping, but I got so fed up with the slowness of having tickets in there for six years and just untouched, even though there's patches, nobody reviews them. Got so annoyed that I for I was working on a startup with two friends um, and I just switched over to Laravel because I heard something about it or I saw a tweet or some, just something and it seemed very developer friendly and got to know the community quite well 
became like a core contributor to Laravel, got involved, even have my Laravel Elite t-shirt. Uh, that was a parody, <laughs> obviously. Um, but yeah, I got really involved and and I had this desire to level up my programming skills because I'm self-taught. I never went to university, never did any courses, just, you know, in the beginning, stole other people's plugins, like contact forms in whatever, 2005, like a script on... I don't even know what the sites were called, phpsource.com, like weird, where you could share your, before SVN, before Get Away, before, um, steal other people's stuff, put my name on there, change the colors a little bit, and just, you know, 14-year-old kid tinkering around. And because of this lack of education or, or being taught by a mentor or anything, with Laravel, I saw this opportunity to just level up my skills and move past mixed php html files to object-oriented programming and how do you design more complex classes and systems and i did that for that's how to say four or five years it's very active with it did level up my skills learned a lot and then came back to to wordpress because this one redis plugin that i mentioned earlier that a client of mine needed also again, like many, 10 years back, um, there was a few Redis plugins around for object caching. Their site was just too slow. They had so many visitors. You couldn't cache it because of all this. It was a community with heaps of comments. You couldn't use static caching. Um, and there were two Redis plugins around, but both were pretty bad and just really rudimental. So I forked one of them, just made it better. And again, published it as like, this is a, this is the same thing, but better. And I, and I used their work to, to ex, like I extended their work and just threw it out there, you know, maybe a thousand people were using it back then in 10 years ago. And then suddenly I saw the numbers go up every now and then I still have to do the maintenance and support would push a new release. I saw it go up to like 10,000, 20, 30, 50, a hundred thousand people. I was like, huh, this is interesting. Like I, I don't promote this. I don't actively work on it. And got more and more phone calls and emails from people who needed something even better because my, I'm doing air quotes here, better version, my fork was good enough for small, small businesses, maybe, but not if you want to run a WooCommerce store that makes $50,000 every Saturday in subscription renewals. It wasn't good enough. And that's how I got back into WordPress from Laravel and it kind of like pulled me away. Really enjoyed the community of nothing but positive things to say about the people, the benevolent dictator Taylor, it's it's a fantastic community. But I got pulled back by this opportunity to improve upon my past work and make an even better version of my Redis caching plugin, which then led to Object Cache Pro. And that's why we're here. I know we have a lot of very smart members of our audience and all that, but in case there are newbies hearing this, uh just to dive down, I mean, what is Redis? What is Object Cache Pro? And what, you know, what is this magical caching technology that uh, you added into the mix to make WordPress life better? Yeah, I actually don't know. <laughs> it's just this thing that you install and then I might I use it. It's, <laughs> no, um, a Redis is a an ultra-fast key value store. So it doesn't store relational data like MySQL does, where you have your posts and 
each post has many comments and uh, it, it lacks the relational aspect to it and you just throw user one user two you wouldn't even say user robert jacoby you would say user one because the idea it's very low level database that is very very fast like you can ask it a million questions a second and it doesn't well maybe not a second actually <laughs> i don't know it depends on your machine but you can ask it a lot of questions like at least an order of magnitude more than what you can ask mysql so you can store and retrieve data really really fast and how that works is this, it's, I'm, I'm going to try to make this really easy or superficial. In WordPress, where Redis sits with all the plugins, whether it's Object Cache Pro or WP Redis or all the other ones, Memcache, there's many out there. It sits basically between, theoretically speaking, if we oversimplify this, it sits between WordPress and your MySQL database. And instead of asking MySQL, let's say a thousand questions a minute, you only ask it a hundred and you redirect 9,000 questions to Redis because it can answer them much, much faster. And through that, your site just loads a little bit faster or sometimes a lot, depending on how many plugins you have and how much data you have. And in that case, you need something on the WordPress side to talk to Redis to sort of in, uh, be an yeah. intermediate, inter or right. Was the word I'm looking for uh, intermediary? Yeah, it is, but I, but also actually kind of be like traffic cop between the databases. Then, in in a sense, it uh, you know I think it's called lying to children. That's the concept behind it. When if you oversimplify it, yes, technically speaking, it's not true, but that's you know it's easy to understand that way. Close enough. Thank you. I like to be the technical dum dum yeah. on these calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So WooCommerce has grown a lot over the past couple of years. I think. Uh, at least from my perspective, uh, uh, the the pandemic has served as quite the accelerant. I think we, we already kind of saw the trend, but now everything is just it's cranked way up. I'm sure you guys at Cloudways are seeing this, Robert, the interest growing on the WooCommerce side of things broadly. I'm curious for that. That was something that surprised me when I first heard of Object Cash Pro. I hadn't really thought about the, the, the what to me seems like a bit of a fundamental difference between the nature of WooCommerce and WordPress. And I'm curious, can you unpack that a bit? Like from your perspective, what makes WooCommerce different than WordPress, uh, particularly from a, a quote unquote caching perspective? I wouldn't even say that it, there's a big difference between WordPress and WooCommerce in, in terms of caching. It's more that there's a time and place for caching where, and there's many different layers, edge caching, page caching, like caching your images, caching objects of the database. It's such a abyss of pain. You can go down if you want to when it comes to caching. And it's many people have trouble with it too. Like it's a hard challenge. That's why people say this, this famous quote of there's only two hard things in computer science. One is cache invalidation and one is naming things. I maybe butched that, but those those are the two hard things. That, um, I, so there's a time and place to to use the right tools to make your site faster. And if you just have a little blog and you, you know, have one person a minute on your site, you don't need caching because any little five dollar a month or two dollar a month hosting package can handle that. But when you have a store, there's a lot more a WooCommerce store any. Prior to that was Jigo Shop, I think I used for, for a client site. I think they're gone now. Um, there's a lot more factors that come in. And one, of course, is 
Amazon, Google, they all did studies on it. Like if your site doesn't load fast, people just abandon it. They don't, they won't give you the money. They won't buy that product. So that's the one thing like suddenly performance matters. Whereas with your personal blog, people are more patient, more forgiving. If it takes two seconds to load, it's fine. If it takes two seconds to load on the phone, people will just go to the next site or go to Amazon or somewhere else. So this is where I see the biggest link between WooCommerce and caching. And of course, the amount of data, like do you have a tiny store with one product and it only sells one mouse pad or one cup, or do you have 50 products and each of them have 10 variations and suddenly your database, there is much more work to be done by PHP, by your database to serve these pages. Again, caching will help there. The bigger the site, the more customizable, the more customizations you did and speed and um, the direct link between e-commerce checking out and, and delivering a fast experience. That's the link I see more than WordPress and WooCommerce there. There's a smart team obviously behind both of them. Both use caching out of the box and you can just plug it in. Um, but the, the e-commerce aspect of what the customers demand, that's where I see the, the link and the difference. Work you did with Laravel sort of influence impact how you put this all together i mean is that is that sort of that cross-pollination between projects yeah and i actually copied this other guy i'm doing a lot of shout outs here adam Wathen, fantastic dude also in canada um he made a framework called tailwind css sure many people know like netflix uses it microsoft it completely blew blew up and he did a similar thing in the Laravel community where he would look at Ruby and see what they're doing and kind of copy it more or less, change it, adjust it to that community and release a product or release a package and just bring new inspiration, like you said, the cross-pollination from Ruby on Rails or from Rails to Laravel. And I tried to do, um, I hope I did, to, to do the same with Object Cache Pro where all this structured test-driven development object-oriented programming i bundled up and started completely from scratch to from from scratch to build object cache pro i didn't want to just iterate upon my past work try to make it better maybe write a test in there i wanted to completely start fresh and actually copied half of the laravel redis component over as a foundation <laughs> for object cache pro for the connections now, one thing that surprised me, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, but when you started working on Object Cache Pro, performance actually wasn't the primary goal. No, because I had all these people reach out to me. They had big stores. And my favorite example is one of them, they do meal deliveries. So they have people give them money every week and they get, I think, five or seven days worth of meals delivered to their home. It's all frozen. And their subscriptions in WooCommerce will renew every Saturday. And I think now they have way past 50,000 subscriptions. But all of these subscriptions would renew with a Chrome job at the same time on like a Saturday morning. <laughs> so if anything goes wrong, maybe you miss 20,000 subscriptions or something crashes. So it had to be super reliable and directly linked to the, the revenue, the profit of the business. And they couldn't even run their renewal Chrome job without Redis. I think they had a I probably get this wrong, but I think they had like a 80 gigabyte gigabytes memory Redis cluster, which is the biggest one I've seen in production. Just to, I don't know what they were doing, but so working with them very, very closely in 2019, 
they wanted something reliable. They didn't care about performance. They just, they, they needed something that is just be somewhat, don't be super slow. They, they didn't care too much. They wanted something. They needed object caching because MySQL couldn't handle the load. So they needed to offload it. But if it's fast, it, it didn't really matter to them. They just needed something reliable. And so object cache pro really the reliability, the test driven development, that was the main focus of it to, to bring it to market. And I thought there's a, very small high-end niche for that these big stores that yeah performance is it's a side effect it's a nice to have we need something that is bulletproof reliable which right now to be honest none of the open source plugins have including my own free version they're somewhat reliable they it's good enough but not if you have fifty thousand dollars or fifty thousand subscription times x and this seems to be a bit of a, a symptom of just the growth overall. Like WooCommerce has grown like crazy. I mean, we see things that are being done in Woo that you just kind of blow your mind, right? And when I look at, so from my time at WooCommerce last year and the year before, the things that stood out to me, like people pick WooCommerce, that open source means there's like the sense of ownership where people are like, we want to have the stack. We want to have like all the pieces, the the flexibility of being able to do whatever you need to. And then just the size of the ecosystem. You mentioned that, right? Like those are, those are reasons that will bring people in and kind of give them confidence to, to make the bet. At some point though, especially when things grow, it's like you, you reach the edges of it and it's like, okay, those reasons are all good. I've got to be able to rely on this though. And that's, I think we're, we're seeing some of those growing pains in the ecosystem as a whole, where we, our practices haven't all caught up with the growth. And that's one thing that I love about your story is it's not like this is all new stuff. It's new in the sense of like WordPress's growth and size, yet there's plenty of lessons that we can learn. Robert, your own background, right? Like you, uh, you know a thing or two about other open source projects. And there's like lots of lessons that we can bring into this ecosystem. And I've appreciated that about at least what I've seen of the approach that, that you've taken is how do we take the best of what Laravel's figured out and bring that to this? And it sounds like for you, reliability, which was rooted in how you chose to build it was a key piece of the puzzle. Yeah. I wanted to have a, a plugin where, because I was maintaining my Redis object cache, that's the free version uh, on the wp.org repo. And sometimes I would release it and then I get like 20 support requests within 10 minutes of like sites crashing. There's a little bug in there because PHP, whatever, 5.4 wasn't supported anymore because I'm, I don't know, used a different array notation. And that's a lot of work. I'm just, you know, I'm doing this for free. I wanted to share my work 10 years ago. I don't want to have 20 support requests right now. So with Object Cache Pro, and I encourage everybody else to do the same thing to have an extensive test suite, run your tests in all the supported versions, pay the money for good CI, GitHub Actions, whatever you use. I think branch CI, there's so many out there. Travis is a bit on a downhill slope, I think, but I'm not too sure about this. Having a decent test suite that when I make one change in my logic, there's a thousand plus test cases running, making sure that the thousand things I've assumed to be working are still working and it didn't break you know one little thing over here and any developer can relate to this you, you this seem unrelated but suddenly everything falls apart and you have to dive through down a rabbit hole for six hours trying to find something and this is what i didn't want to with the free version and especially with the pro version i want to hit release push out a new version and there's thousands of sites that pull it 
by Composer or however they deploy. Maybe it's installed through the dashboard and updates itself. And they can just trust that you update to a new version. You don't have this anxiety of updating your plugins. That's the one that always the problem that, or that's one thing that bothered me. Like, ah, oh, can I update GigoShop? No. Now I have to spend four hours of work to updating product attributes. And I did not want that experience for anybody else. And it, it's something that every project struggles with the sort of professionalization versus, you know, the, the original folks who came in and were like, we're just going to hack something together and it works and it's so cool. It's amazing. Um, how do you have that conversation with other developers? Uh, you know, besides the obvious, this will make your customers happy or your, your end users happy. How do you convince them to actually go down that road? Because it's a lot of hard work. I ran an agency for decades and, you know, when we instituted CI and automated testing, all that fun stuff, it was a big headache at first. Yeah. I mean, I would just, if they want my approval, they have to do it. Otherwise, I'll judge them harshly. That's how I'll have this conversation. No. Um, I mean, to, to be honest, I don't have these conversations. Um, if anybody ever wants to talk about it, reach out. I'm on Twitter. I'm sure we put in the show notes or something like this. I'm always happy to chat about it. Um, I don't have these conversations much. I just take it as a given now. Maybe this is a, I'm past the transition. And in Laravel, for example, if you make a pull request, if you don't provide also a change to a test file, if there not is also an, a new unit test or a new feature test or integration test, whatever you want to call it, for that feature, it's just like, you know, please add the tests. And if they say like, oh, I don't know how to use it, it's just close. It's like, we won't merge new features to a framework used by, I don't know how many people, a lot of people, if you don't also contribute test cases. And I think it's a fantastic way for people who hire too, to see, do they provide unit tests too? Or do they just, hey, this, the, the code works and the developer didn't even think about testing it. To me, that's a big decision factor when I hire someone or bring someone in as a consultant or a freelancer. I think that's an area too where WooCommerce has a lot of opportunity to evolve. Like you said, like there are some fantastic people working on core, working on WordPress, and there are, are great like pockets in the ecosystem of excellence. Yet part of the the magic and the beauty of Woo is that you have all this flexibility to pick what you're going to choose. And and for folks who don't like uh, this, this has been a challenge in our ecosystem for a long time. It's like how, how do you know how good something is if you don't have the technical sort of capability? And I think it's going to be it's on us as an ecosystem to a degree to say how do we raise the bar and that professionalization that you mentioned robert it's attention right because there's there's this on the one hand hey we like things to be flexible and kind of do whatever we want the stakes are increasing though especially as people are building bigger and bigger things and they're they're counting on it more right and and we don't want to at least from my point of view it's like we shouldn't be losing people unnecessarily where they have to give up that ownership and being a part of the community and ecosystem just because we're not mature enough to to like do the harder work. Yeah, of- because many parts of the of the WordPress ecosystem are mature enough. And you know, you ask how I'm having this conversation. I think it's more speaking to website owners of being mindful of what they install. Because if you just install WordPress core and WooCommerce and whatever the official WooCommerce plugins are, you're going to be in a safe side. There's smart people behind this. They do their testing. And if there's an issue, it's quickly fixed or caught in, you know, QA process. But if you install 
even ACF is another good example. Like, you know, it's pretty reliable. Like I never had any issues with it unless I was like <laughs> illegal things with it. Um, but then just picking a random plugin, I was just having a conversation with a customer. They use, I'm not going to say the name, a third party plugin and oh, it doesn't work with object caching. And then they're suggesting, oh, you should ignore the options cache group, which is that would solve the problem because their code is bad or they didn't have these processes. But now the customer is suffering because they lose on, on all the performance that they would get by caching the options group. And that's being mindful of what you install, where the source is. And I know Jonathan talked a little bit about having a uh, I don't know if we can touch on it, but this is an NDA conversation with a plugin repo. There's a site called Tidy Repo or Tiny Repo, which is a curated list of plugins that are trustworthy. But even maybe iterating on that and having a dedicated repository that maybe sits on top of WordPress.org with an API where the developers, they have certain practices. It's not just you saying, no, we test our products. They actually adhere to maybe a community standards and i think there would there there's room for improvement because just moving away from woocommerce it brings so much flexibility and there's people migrating away from magento to woocommerce because they need the flexibility and the other way people are migrating away to magento because it's not reliable wordpress is not reliable enough hey bob wp here and i'd like to take a moment to thank two of our pod friends for their support of do the woo you know how important reviews are to your client sites, or even your own Woo shop. So why not check out the world's leading review platform where over 626,000 websites have been rated and reviewed. Trustpilot integrates with WooCommerce not only to help with getting more reviews and displaying them, but it also gives you the benefit of SEO. Every month, over 4 million reviews on Trustpilot helps potential customers find your clients and helps those customers make better buying decisions. Using Trustpilot with WooCommerce transforms reviews into traffic, sales, and customer loyalty. All you need to do is head over to the WooCommerce Marketplace and get their free extension. If you have a client who is looking for a point-of-sale solution, consider suggesting Foo Sales. In fact, Foo Sales is the first native WooCommerce point-of-sale to support in-person payments using Square Reader. Now you can use FooSales with the Square Terminal for your client projects, but the icing on the cake is that it not only works with FooSales iPad and Android apps, but the Foo web app. So you really need to check this out if your clients have been asking for a point of sale solution or a new point of sale solution. Find them at FooSales.com. Dot com. And now let's head back to the show. I'm curious, Robert, from your perspective, like working at a hosting company, on the, if I'm imagining, and correct me if I'm wrong, there's a bit of a tension there because you want your customers to, of course, do whatever they want on the platform, right? Like to be able to have that flexibility. Yet you also know that there are things that are, that are better for your customers than, than not. Like how do you guys think about that? And maybe that might end up tying into why you guys decided to work with Object Cache. Well, it's kind of that way. So I mean, we look at the entire space as providing three overall solutions. One is it's the free-for-all. You know, you, you got a shared host somewhere. You can do whatever you want. You break it, you own it. Good luck. 
And then there's sort of that other extreme, which is, you know, people nicely call it a gated service, but, you know, you're, you're kind of, you know, in prison and you can't do anything except like, you know, like a SAS, basically. you know, bang your uh, tray against the bars and hope someone gives you a, a nice plug in that you can install again. So we kind of try to ride that middle road and saying, you know, we'll take care of the stuff that no one wants to deal with. And that's, you know, servers, you know, at the, at the really base level, but then provide enough flexibility to have something like Object Cache Pro a, as a part of that, you know, ecosystem on our side of the universe. And that's, you know, some people are not going to like that. Some people are going to want to go straight to, you know, Wix, Shopify, and others are going to want to just roll their own and cross their fingers. Yep. And I, and I noticed too that in my time at Woo that some, sometimes it's just a bit of a life cycle where people start out. Like I, I was, I was happily surprised at how many people like come back to Woo or come to Woo after having like built something where they're like, okay, I just need something up and running. And then they get to a point of growth where they're like, okay, now flexibility and ownership is more important to me, and that's where they start making that transition. So, Till, I want to switch the conversation. And so, for the for for folks who are listening who build their own products, like you've learned a lot about making products. Uh, I assume that you've made mistakes as well as had successes. And, and I'm curious in broad strokes, like are there lessons that stand out to you? Things that you've learned in this product, process of making both the free products and also building a business on it? I mean, this is going to be a very biased answer, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> All I know is my own experience. If we ignore developers for a second, I would definitely say be you, do do what like be true to yourself. The it sounds a bit cheesy and it's on every inspirational banner and Instagram post, but uh finding something that you or in this case me that I was passionate about, that I have a drive for. It's not a, a money grab or oh, I could maybe do this. I, I love performance. I love charts. I love who doesn't love metrics? At least <laughs> I really <laughs> like seeing it's faster by 20 milliseconds, I'm super happy. And it's probably negligible, but it's not over a million requests. That's a lot of time that racks up. And combining something that I'm passionate about and then doing my own thing as opposed to trying to copy someone or clone something else more, be you. And that's, I know it sounds cheesy, but that's definitely the number one advice I would give. It, it makes for a more meaningful, a happier, fulfilling life, I think. Combining this with business, of course. If we're talking about, did you ask specifically about developers? Some advice or? Well, it's it, it's a open-ended, yeah. Like if you're thinking to people, let's talk for developers for a moment. If they're building a plugin, they, they have an idea that they want to pursue. Yeah. What, what advice would you give them from your experience? Sort out your marketing, marketing channel first. The whole, and, and many people talk about this. If you build it, they will come. I think it's a massive, it's a very risky statement. I think it's a fallacy. It's more having an audience or a marketing strategy of like, what is this channel? Where, where do I, where do I meet customers? Where do get customers their eyes on my product that I'm building? That to me is what I see most, actually not even developers, most <laughs> business owners and entrepreneurs often miss that. Again, very general statement, but thinking about marketing first, and there's another guy, Justin Jackson, 
love him to death. Um, he had a book called Marketing for Developers, maybe <laughs> I think it's called. And he, he always shares that developers have the superpower. They can create anything they want. If you take a, you know, a weekend, a couple of weeks here and there, you learn a bit about of user experience and design. Not, you're not going to make something beautiful and like an art piece, but learn how to use Tailwind UI. And suddenly you have a beautifully designed, well-architected product, just a little bit of time. And you, you can make anything you want. Like you could build maybe not rockets to fly to Mars, but you can build any idea that you want. And he calls this a superpower, Justin does. And combining that with marketing, marketing is just a skill to learn. I think it's, I believe it's much harder to learn programming than marketing because there are some cookie cutter approaches and, and simple strategies. So not ignoring marketing before you have an idea, I think is <laughs> you're laughing, Robert. I think that's a... a I mean, I'm happy to give technical advice. And again, if anybody ever wants to talk about low level, high level, or just, you know, beginners, if I'm always out there, but marketing for developers and to the extent business owners is something that a lot of people neglect. And I think it's a plus 50% plus piece of the pie, like building the product. I can talk about a relay for a second here. It, we thought this is going to be two month project without going too deep into this. And now we have one and a half years into the development. It's kind of pretty much ready now, I think. We'll know <laughs> sometime this week. Um, it's taking much longer, but this is, we. who's going to use it? How, how are we going to sell it? And that whole marketing piece, it's development can blow out of proportion and be really big marketing. I know I'm rambling here, but. Wait, I, I just thought you said the marketing part was really easy and cookie cutter. <laughs> it's, but to think about it, you can learn it. Like this is a, it's a skill to acquire. It's something to explore. But if I met many people online in person who don't think about marketing before they set out to, they have a great idea. Maybe they build a product and then nobody looks at it. Nobody the, uses it. The way that I've found helpful to think about it, it's like if in, in the business context, you, you need to start. And I've had a lot of these conversations with store owners, right? It's like, who's your audience and what problem are you solving for them? And I, I would suggest that a lot of the businesses that, and I see this often in the space where someone's built something cool, but can't answer those two questions. They don't know who their audience is and what problem they're solving. And for me, it's like, I, I couldn't yeah, really, it doesn't make sense to build a business without being able to answer those two questions because so much of what you do would be rooted in, or, or unless you're, unless you're the audience and you're just solving your own problem, that's totally fair. But if you want to build a business, yeah. But that's open source. Then you make a plugin, you throw it out there, and maybe people use it. And yeah, I made five, six plugins. I made a theme. And only two of them really took off and were used without that. And the other were, you know, have like a thousand users. Yeah. So I'm really curious. You did one thing that uh, seemed crazy to a lot of folks. So when you came out with Object Cash Pro, tell us about like, so your price point is a lot more expensive than most plugins. How did you come up with the price? The hate that I'm getting once a week is is incredible. I've just anyway. <laughs> um, I this is what I was touching on earlier that like you do you, and to me, frankly, it was the math I did. I don't know if I can still do this. I think I did a hundred dollars. I think I wanted to make eight thousand dollars a month. That was like that's what I wanted to do. So it was like. 
okay, I need a hundred customers at with some overhead. A hundred customers give me a hundred dollars a month, and then I'm set. I can retire. I can lay down and die. That was kind of my, my thinking behind it, and that's as deep as it gets. No, it was really it was a mathematical decision um, of seeing like how fast can I sustain a business and do this full time because I really enjoyed that. And I did a plugin before called Email Address Encoder, free plugin, made a pro version or like a premium version I called it back then that sells for fifteen dollars a year or sixty dollars a year for unlimited. And it's, you know, it's a small price and it pays my mortgage. It's, it sustains a part of my life. It's really nice and it grew, but I, I wasn't passionate of like, oh, do I want to have more customers? Do I want to have 10,000 customers that I need to support to pay for my life? I was like, no, why don't I have a hundred people high in WooCommerce stores, give me a hundred dollars a month and I provide them with an excellent service and I can, I can cater and service a hundred clients really, really well. That was the thinking behind it. And I think that's what's, that's what surprises people. And I'm curious for Jacoby's perspective on this. Uh, when like, <laughs> if you take that hundred dollar price point, right? Like for most folks that they'll maybe they'll be giving you pushback on it, right? Like, like, Hey, how could you do that? That's not normal in our WordPress ecosystem. It's hundred dollars a month for a plugin. Like what, what are you talking about? Yet, customers who get the value it's just a no-brainer for them and i think a lot of people are surprised it's like it feels too cheap right you even offer you have like an enterprise offering that you that you have now it's like two grand a month where for people who just wanted that higher touch service right and i think what a lot of people are surprised by and this is i think a symptom of us not catching up with the growth is that there are businesses in woocommerce doing 50 grand a month in sales who care a lot about things like reliability and paying hundreds of dollars a month for a plugin and all that that entails, right? The commitment of the developer to keep it going and continue to improve it is just a no brainer. And I think it's easy for us to miss sight of that for, especially if we've been in the space for a long time, Robert, what are your thoughts on, on, on the pricing? That completely ties into the, that professionalization uh, disconnect with a lot of just full force open source people. Uh, I definitely saw that in the Joomla world where, you know, are you kidding? You're going to charge $10 a year for something? Yeah, I'm going to charge $10 a year. You're lucky I'm not charging $1,000 a year for something. It's if you want a certain level of service value customer to take you seriously, you can't, you can't charge it for, you know, for $5 a year. You do have to charge it at $100 or $2,000 a month. That comes with a lot of expectations that, that also, you know, that, you know, that support has to be spot on. Uh, you better have that insurance. You know, I, I talk with a lot of freelancers, you know, why can't I get the big projects? I'm like, well, because you have to run your business like a business. And that means, you know, having errors and emissions, liability, all these things where you can charge three, four, five, ten 10x because now you seem like a professional business owner in the space as opposed to someone who's just kind of futzing around. Like, yeah, I could go fork, you know, all of this wonderful Redis object stuff over the weekend, but no one's going to buy it from me. You know, whatever tweaks I make, because that's not a business. That's not a real thing that I want to do. It would just be farting around. And that's why I, I think 
I'm surprised we don't see more of that pricing for other types of projects, products. The value is there, right? Like there's for a store owner, it's like you're almost doing them a disservice. They're like, I remember having a conversation with someone who was going to move over like a hundred thousand dollar a year subscription business. And and it was ramping up, like it was growing like crazy. And the subscriptions plugin is 200 bucks a year. They're like, wait a minute, <laughs> I'm going to build my business on this, like only a couple hundred dollar a year plugin. And, you know, what we know is that, okay, what you need to do is like find, find a service provider that you can work with who like really knows it, who can customize it, et cetera. So like there are paths that we have to offer, but it's not clear to folks. And there's a disconnect sometimes where they're like, if they didn't know someone, how would they, it's hard to have confidence when it's like, this doesn't make sense. I'm building a huge business, tiny little plugin. And open source had that problem in the beginning. Oh, I, I'm not running this free operating system. I need Microsoft or Apple or IBM or Oracle behind it. Yeah, and now all of those guys are running the operating system that's free. So uh, there is that sort of uh, (laughs) you know push and pull about you know (laughs) oh it's free we can't use it but wait we can. So you do have to come at it you know depending on what kind of client you want to work with. And I think this is it's another part of it. Working with just for free open source, working with these you know fifteen sixty dollar a year customers. I wanted to work with a different caliber of people and clients, just not more, yeah, maybe more respectful or more professional interaction. Like if someone pays $100 a month, they're going to be a very, actually, no, I don't think I have a single customer who is a bit of a dick. They're all nice because they run businesses. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny how that works. <laughs> it's funny how that works. So like the, you get nicer customers and oftentimes the more that they pay. Yeah. Uh, so I'm curious as we're wrapping this up. So you've built you built this business. Um, it's done quite well. You have lots of happy customers. A lot of WooCommerce folks using it. Why did you decide to like work with Cloudways? Because now now effectively that product they can get over at Cloudways, right? It's bundled in. I'm not. I don't forget which ones, Robert, but it's like with certain plans, right? That you get Object Cache Pro included. Yep, that's exactly it. That's a big deal. Suddenly it's available. For you as a product creator, and this is in this context of thinking of others, folks listening, why that deci- why that decision to like go bigger through a partnership versus just kind of staying on your own? Um, I'm not sure who it was, but someone brought up the concept of ubiquity, <laughs> um, and I saw that my this has I saw that my product has a lot of potential, and that it's doing a lot of good for the customers that have it. And I was debating between should I grow one individual customer by one individual customer and like slowly onboard 10, 30, 100 people a month and scale this out? Do I want more individual customers? Or because by then things were going really well, do I want to create a bigger impact by delivering this product to more people, making more people happy, easier life, helping hosting companies save money more than that they pay me usually. Cloudways is different because they didn't host their own servers. But um, do I want to grow individual customer by individual customer or do I want to make a larger splash and larger impact and also move the support away from me towards I still maintain the one-on-one customers that I have, but the support in Cloudways' case is then done by Cloudways. So I can grow and actually deliver more value to more people as a business and as a, you know, human who wants to make an impact. 
without burdening myself by, I don't know how many customers Cloudwise has. I start to see the numbers trickle in, but without having many, many numbers of thousands, um, more customers that I have to serve because they already have the teams and really making the impact. They've got the infrastructure for it. Yeah. I like yeah. it. So it sounds like it goes yeah. back to your point of creating something in the world, right? Of like what got you in? Yeah. And actually I'll say one more thing to that, that we touched upon a few times. There is, it's such a big ecosystem. Like you said, there are some people that run two euro web servers and they tinker around themselves and every plugin is forked by themselves and nobody touches it. Then you have the people who just tinker around and you maybe just want to have the freedom. They use Cloudways, and then you have high-end teams where they have a whole DevOps team just for one business, run their own infrastructure. And there's so many different verticals or niches or categories of customers. And I'm sure, Robert, you see the same thing at, at Cloudways. Just like the different calibers of people that come in and they're all valid. They all, you know, have their own, what, whatever they want to accomplish with their things. Um, spreading Object Cash Pro to more people, there's still these DevOps teams that will pay $2,000 a month for an enterprise support plan um, because they don't, they won't host on Cloudways because they can't fulfill that, those needs and they need way more than one machine and a control panel. They have a whole team. Even though I tend not to be one, I'm a tech geek at heart. So I love hearing those kinds of stories about, you know, having all sorts of levels of people be able to take advantage of actually very high-end complex uh, solutions. So I know I'm excited about it, just be getting more notice in the wild. Uh, I think it's a great project and uh, love those numbers. Uh, we are really coming up to the end of the line here. I'm, I'm kind of rushing through this all of a sudden. I just realized our, our time. Um, boy, Till, it has been freaking awesome to, you know, have you on to, to hear these parts of your journey. And uh, I know we'll be excited to hear the the next part of your journey as uh, more stuff gets built out. And hopefully you have some cool ideas. Maybe you could even tell us one that you're planning for next year <laughs> and surprise us all. <laughs> the random put till on the yeah. spot in case, just in case you have any cool things that you have uh, that you're thinking about yeah. for 2022. Um. So speaking of these niches, they're my high-end clients. Let's say 5% of my clients, less, 2% of my clients, I saw they run into 1%, let's say 1%. 1% of my clients, like that top high-end, they ran into weird issues of having race conditions with caching. They have massive infrastructures. And for them, Object Cash Pro wasn't even... It was not even good enough. They need they, they need even more because their workloads, their amount of cash, like they have monsters of infrastructure. And I saw a need for like another product that would go hand in hand with Object Cash Pro, which means instead of you know WordPress always talking to Redis, Redis is a server, so like MySQL. Object Cash Pro has to talk to a server. We're thinking like, oh, why don't we just cache the entire thing as part of PHP? And it lives similar to APCU. So if I'm working on this, I touched on this earlier for the last one and a half years on Relay with the guy who made um, PHP Redis. His name is Mike, or Michael Grunder. 
I think everybody's got German names here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we've been working the last yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we've been working the last year. We've been working the last year. <laughs> uh, this is my favorite thing. And if anybody ever wants to make me happy at a conference and in the future, if you want to make a great impression with me, and I'll do anything for you. Basically, if you speak German to me. It can be fake. You can make up the words. It doesn't even have to make sense. If you just pretend to speak German, it's the one of the greatest joys of my life when people pretend German. And the ne next Mal our podcast nur auf Deutsch werden sein. <laughs> okay, alles klar. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I've been working with uh, with Michael for the last one and a half years, and the we should have a product in a couple of weeks. Still testing. We're going to roll this out with some, you know, high-end people who are willing to experiment with uh, something nobody else done before. We're going to roll this out on a smaller basis first, test this thoroughly, and then hopefully hit the market and again, like have a an, not an open source but a free version for people to use that have smaller needs. Maybe they don't have big cash data, and the bigger that you grow, the more expensive the product becomes. But there's always a nice free offering that just you install the extension and suddenly your website is significantly faster because WordPress doesn't have to talk to Redis anymore. The data just sits as part of the PHP memory. <laughs> It's called Relay. I'm very excited about it, but I'm sure maybe we'll do a, a dedicated episode on that at some point. Uh, where can people find you, Till? Probably Twitter is the best. But we'll put in the show notes. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm always happy to chat with people. Brilliant. Thanks so much, Till. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to today's show. I'd like to give one more shout out to our two pod friends. Looking at ramping up reviews on your client's site? Do check out Trustpilot and their free extension on the WooCommerce Marketplace. And for those clients looking for a powerful point of sales, foosales.com has you covered. And of course, you can always stay on top of all the episodes, including starting next week, I'll be doing a full week of episodes on the train heading to Stay the Word in New York City. So stay tuned for that and do go to dothewoo.io where you'll find a landing page where I'll be putting all the content on the updates on my adventure to New York and back. So until next time, keep on doing the woo.